Lose the Cape Podcast, episode 176. So today's episode is a little bit different than many of the topics. Well, it's a lot different than many of the topics we have covered before, but I'm super excited about it. Um, I reached out to my friend, Wendy Green, who I actually went to middle school and high school with after I started seeing her posting about all of this hashtag free the hair stuff. And at first I thought it was a joke because that's what people who are ignorant do. We don't understand (laughs) the importance of an issue. Um, And we talk about this in the interview with Wendy about how I honestly thought it was a joke when I first started seeing this until I was listening to her and reading the things that she was posting and realizing what a big difference it means, what hair discrimination is and why it should matter to all of us as parents, not just African-American moms. So um, before we get into the episode, I do want to say happy summer. As you have noticed, we are down to only one episode a month, but we hope you're still going over to um, iTunes or Apple Music Podcast, whatever they're calling themselves these days, and subscribing and going back and listening to some of our other amazing um, uh, interviews that we've had over the past year past five years, actually. I can't even believe it. I missed our five-year anniversary in April. That's how crazy life was. But yeah, and we'd also invite you to subscribe, to leave a review if you like it, to follow us on Facebook, and of course, to join your mom squad on Facebook, which is a group where we can discuss issues like this and talk about the things that matter to us most as moms. Okay, so I would be totally remiss if I didn't let everybody know that Monday, that is today is July 19th, Friday, July 19th is a recording, Monday is the 22nd, and that is my co-host Nancy's 40th birthday. So if you are friends with Nancy and you hear this on or around July 22nd, make sure you give her a happy 40th birthday shout out. Um, We are just thrilled to death to be have her as the co-host and have her as part of this um, uh, world with me. So anyway, let's get to talking about this. Um, I think you're going to love Wendy. I would like to say we did have a tiny glitch in the recording. So there are a couple of places where it sounds um, like it's jumpy. We did our best to get all of that out, but just bear with us. The message in this podcast episode is so important. I would hate for you to miss it because you're distracted by the sound issues. It happens a couple times throughout, but it it corrects itself um, each time. So enjoy it. And if you have any comments or questions, head on over to the Facebook page. It's just um, Facebook Lose the Cape. If you look for Lose the Cape, you'll find our page. And let's have some conversation about this topic because I know it was really interesting to me to learn about it. And um, I'm so proud of Wendy and all of the work that she's doing. We've seen that there are even more laws coming into place and being an enacted even since we recorded this interview with her and she is really making a big difference in the world and I just want you to know when I'm Wendy I'm so so stinking proud of you and the work that you are doing out there for all children so that they can grow up feeling but especially for the African-American children so that they can grow up feeling included and like their issues matter too and that's important All right. Enjoy this interview. I'm sure you're going to find it as interesting as I did if this is a totally new topic to you. All right. 
Hello, and welcome back to another amazing episode of the Lose the Cape podcast, where we attempt to shed some light on topics you may not be discussing at your uh, book clubs, <laughs> or maybe you are, and if you are, that's amazing. Uh, today, I am Alexa Bigworth, your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Nancy Caviones, and our guest, Wendy Green. I'm, I know I always say this, but I truly, 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 like every time we interview somebody, I truly am excited. But this is such an interesting topic that we're digging into today and one that I, I, I really hadn't ever thought about until I saw my friend, Wendy Green, who I went to middle school and high school with. So I'm following her on, our, on Facebook and I started seeing some of the things she was posting. So um, let me just tell you who she is. The daughter of American civil rights activist, Professor Doris Wendy Green, is a trailblazing U.S. anti-discrimination law scholar, teacher, and advocate who has devoted her professional life's work to advancing racial and gender equality in workplaces and beyond. Celebrated by Teen Vogue and diverse issues in higher education, Professor Green has developed an international reputation for her efforts to dismantle two present forms of inequality at the intersections of race, color, ethnicity, religion, and gender, grooming codes, discrimination, and misperception discrimination. Okay, I'm going to stop here because... lot of stuff in this bio and we will <laughs> post it up there. It is an amazing bio, y'all. She has, I mean, scholarships, awards, written in educational publications. She gives legal guidance. She's everywhere and she's been passing. The most exciting thing is that she has been working really hard and getting some incredible laws passed all over the place that I'm going to let her dig into, but all about equality, um, bringing education to us so that we understand. And most importantly, she is near and dear to my heart about to become an author. She is publishing the forthcoming book, hashtag free the hair, locking black hair, locking black hair to civil rights movements. And she's the originator of what has been become known internationally as the hashtag free the hair movement to bring awareness to what is the hyper-regulation of black women's hair and bodies. Did I get that right? Black women's and girls' bodies via their hair in public. You can just, oh, there's a lot of words. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. close enough. Yes. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here to talk about this. I think as a largely um, big audience of, of largely white women, like this is really important for us to understand because I admit the first time I saw hashtag free the hair, I wasn't sure if you were joking or if it was, and then I read, and then I read what you were talking about. Cause you know, sometimes you see a hashtag and you're like, what's happening here. And I was like, what is this all about? And then I read the article and I was like, wow, like I never even thought about this kind of stuff. So let's just, let me turn it over to you. Tell us about this and how you became involved in it. So hashtag free the hair really represents um, the you know uh, the advocacy that I've been doing through my scholarship and through teacher teaching and counseling individuals. Um, 
on natural hair discrimination. African descendant women and girls suffer broadly African descendants. This is the women and girls, uh, although men and, and base. So when we talk about natural hair discrimination, it's about uh, discrimination or biases that are associated with natural hairstyles, like afros, twists, locks, braids, um, bantu knots, for example. And there are negative connotations that are associated with our natural hair texture and the styles that flow from our natural hair texture, like locks and braids and twists. And so many of those biases, negative biases, are that they are um, that our hairstyles are not professional, mm-hmm. that they are dirty and unkempt, that they are unattractive, not beautiful. Um, that they are just wrong and um, and exceptional. And oftentimes you'll hear people say that they're not natural. Um, and in large part, this idea that our hair is not natural when it's locked or braided or twisted is because of this predominant norm that hair is straight. Um, in large part, this idea about straight hair being the norm is very much raci- racialized in nature, and it's based upon a Eurocentric idea um, or standard as it relates to beauty and appearance and acceptability and inclusion. Right. And so um, Free the Hair came about because I have been working now for almost like 12, 13 years on this issue as it relates to um, um, the discrimination I observed um, on the basis of natural hair in workplaces and as well as in other spaces. And I say that even this discrimination and the negative bias that are treating this discrimination and stereotyping um, also in my personal communities. Uh, so just starting at a very young age, you know, you start to hear about the preference of and the privilege of straight hair. And, um, you know, when we, for African-American girls or African-African descent girls, we can start as early as two or three years of straightening our hair in order to achieve the standard and straightening in ways that are very, very, very problematic and harmful to us. So that's how it all came about. So when it comes to our hair, people start thinking about, um, you know, our acceptability based upon our hair before we even get out of the womb. Um, people are already like pontificating about what the child is going to look like and include including that is you know the texture of our hair and um, and so start making certain types of determinations before we're even born so for me this is an issue that probably has even that that started I mean obviously um, originate before I was born but maybe you know maybe you know the idea is that you know this is something that I've been thinking about uh, before I can really truly remember uh, the first thought and it's just happened to to transfer over into my professional work well I, I i first of all commend you on what you have done with this movement and i'm wondering um if there is a way for us well i guess this is one way by talking about it on podcasts and stuff but it truly i think is something that most um and i don't i don't mean this in a negative way it's just because we are who we are and we're used to what we're used to but i don't think most white people are even thinking about this topic mm-hmm. and then when you start talking about it i know when i when i the first time i really realized this was well first of all my reaction to it like thinking oh my gosh i never even thought about that but then when i posted the article on our lose the cape page about the young the wrestler Oh, right. He was forced to cut his hair off on the mat. And person after person in our feed was like, this isn't a big deal. It's not like, like, it's just sports rules. It's just, you know, whatever. And, and to that, I didn't really know how to respond. I think I tagged you in that and was like, Wendy, help me out here. (laughs) I mean, 
the thing that really got to me about those comments on that post is that to me, what happened in that video was so violent. Like I felt literally sick to my stomach and I like couldn't believe that like those people on the comments, like they didn't watch no, the video. no matter what the sports rules are or what was happening, mm-hmm. it was violent. And yeah. nobody like seemed to recognize that what was happening to that kid was violent. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, whether I mean it could have been a black kid, it could have been a white kid, it could have been a Spanish kid. It was violent. Right. You know? right. That was like the thing that I felt like people were missing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what was happening; an act of violence was being inflicted upon that kid. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you can't see that, then I. And I'm like the same way as Alexa. I was like, I don't know how to respond to somebody that can see an act of violence like that and not point that out or not respond to it. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think that most people took the time to watch the video because I think their comments would have been different. Second of all, I think their gut reaction was to say, what's the big deal? He just had to cut off a little bit of his hair. And if he didn't want to cut his hair, he could have. Um, what's the word forfeited and mm-hmm. I, as a sports mom and as a mom in general, I'm thinking, how dare you make my child? What would have, ha- what would happen if my daughter's hair wasn't in the right bun for a dance performance and they made her shave her head or not be able to continue on, you know, I mean, and it's that, it's that level. So right. Talk. Right, right. Well, oh, exactly right. You're, you're some really important in, uh, observations about the comments in that you hear that often. You know, when I talk about this issue, especially when I'm dealing with it in terms of the workplace, people will say all the time, it's the big deal. You can just do something, just your choice. It's really a choice. Oh, and they really think, think of it as, you know, this sort of like voluntary uh, choice and in the way in which our is growing just naturally out of our heads for many of us, right? And so it's your choice, you know, to to choose between, you know, actually conforming to the grooming policy or lose your your employment opportunity for which you're otherwise qualified. And oftentimes people will say that's just about employer prerogative. And in this case, I'm sure similarly people are thinking that these types of rules are in in place because of maybe health and safety. Well, in this instance with the young man, unfortunately it wasn't, it wasn't about that uh, because he actually could have, covered his hair and then proceeded to engage in the wrestling match, right? Um, But they didn't give him that option. Instead, to um, Nancy's point, is that what they exacted was this really harmful and humiliating um, act of physical touching and and, uh, physical violence upon his his body and upon his his dignity. And I would even argue more broadly his his personhood and humanity. Um, So, you know, you could tell even from the actions, I didn't watch it because I couldn't stomach to watch it. I just, just hearing about it was disturbing enough for me, but I did the aftermath, you know, his, um, his facial expression. You could tell that he was absolutely humiliated. It was yeah. heartbreaking. And all I can think about it, just the trauma, like how, how do you, how do you recover from something like that? Like I just, I don't know. Right. So it's very traumatic when, especially under those types of circumstances and it being what 
I have tried to explain that this is very much historically rooted. Uh, when we think about the things that are so personal to us that inform and shape our identity, our hair, regardless of your racial, your gender identity, say that our hair is very integral to that. And so even in times of slavery um, and racial slavery, one of the ways that um, slave owners and and um, as well as overseers and slave traders would try to impose control into, into to further the dehuman, dehumanization process um, as it relates to African descendants was to, to cut off our hair. It is a common form of punishment, right, and, and, and penalty. And so, of course, when you are executing that kind of punishment, especially in a public space, um, like in the instance with the wrestler, it is, it's extremely humiliating. And, um, and it's an injury to our dignity and personhood. And, pe and people often see it because they can't imagine themselves in that situation. Right. Um, they've never had to encounter that situation. And so, so really you're explaining, you both are explaining us this level of empathy that um, some people um, yet possess because it's not your experience. And so the work is to try to, people to be more empathetic, realize that even though it may not necessarily be something that, you, that you're experiencing, it doesn't uh, diminish the level of harm for those who are encountering it. Yeah. I mean, when I was thinking about like this conversation, and how it was going to go and stuff, I was really trying to, I mean, because as somebody with very curly hair, I have my own share of, like, hair issues or whatever, and, you know, but, the, you know, but when I really thought about it, I, it's, it, like, definitely had never reached the level of being discriminated against, and I, that's why I find your misperception discrimination phrase interesting, because I have been subject to that. I mean, I've had people who, you know, think that I'm Puerto Rican, and so they treat me one way, and then they find out I'm Jewish, and then they treat me a different way. Right, right. Um, based on my appearance, you know, and then all my kids have, like, really curly hair, so I'm sure they're going to have, like, their own. My, one of my daughters has already, you know, dealt with people having this perception that her mm -hmm. hair is like a mess or mm -hmm. that she mm -hmm. curly, mm -hmm. but they I don't think that they will ever ha experience the level of discrimination that black people experience mm -hmm. when it comes to their mm -hmm. hair and I you know um and so even though I can understand it a little bit I don't think I will ever not get a job or not be refused service or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's really interesting because I saw um, some of my friends posting about it afterwards um, that have little girls, um, African-American girls that are in gymnastics or things like that and, and um, making comments afterwards about how the, if there's a positive thing about this event, it got people to speak up. And yeah. they got people to say, yes, that happens to my daughter. She, you know, she, and, and you never even think about it, but um, th this is why it's so important. I would love it if you would tell us a little bit about the law itself and what you're hoping to achieve as it goes around, around. <laughs> sure. So there's lots going on right now as it relates to the law um, here, but the baseline um, is the fact that federal civil rights laws like Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, which prohibits discrimination places on the basis of color, sex, national origin, and, and religion. And with Title VII, the way in which the federal courts have interpreted Title VII um, is that uh, natural hair discrimination or discrimination based upon 
uh, based upon uh, locks and braids and twists do not amount to unlawful race discrimination. However, they have made an exception and said that uh, discrimination on the basis of Afros would constitute or does constitute race discrimination. So I have called this a very hair-splitting distinction um, in federal jurisprudence that really does not make any sense <laughs> so, at all. Um, so on the one hand, you can have, a, or, or if you think about it, you can have a, a, a woman, a black woman, for example, who has an Afro, or what may be perceived as an Afro, and then, um, you know, the moment, you know, so she'll be protected under Title VII's prohibitions against race discrimination. But the moment that she twists or locks or braids the Afro, and she's discriminated against, then it's outside of the protection of Title VII. The employer actually has free will to, to discriminate and make other types of adverse decisions based upon her hair texture. And it's the same woman, hair texture, same hair. It shouldn't matter in which uh, kind of transition it is uh, to be able to benefit protections of federal civil rights law. So I have challenged them and argued that um, regardless of how we're wearing our natural hair, um, that it is a form of race or discrimination. And um, so I have been getting a lot to the federal courts to try to get them to change their opinions with respect to this. Um, also talking a lot with not only just, only just the court, but also lawyers and practitioners who are engaged in cases, um, or just uh, more broadly, just the people may be uh, involved in decisions as it relates to grooming and appearance, employment or educational decisions may uh, implicate grooming and appearance and regulations. Um, and um, then I guess thirdly, also as of late, dealing with legislation uh, to try to uh, clarify anti-discrimination laws in states as well as in localities like New York City, for example, um, or states like, for example, California, uh, which to my knowledge is the, the first um, state uh, to, or, or state senator, Holly, Holly Mitchell, was the first one to introduce legislation to clarify their state anti-discrimination law in a way that would recognize uh, natural hair discrimination as a form of race discrimination. Um, so those are the things that I'm doing domestically, uh, but I'm also having this conversation in, in other countries and, um, and, and globally, because this issue, again, is not something that only African Americans in the United States are encountering or experiencing, but, in, but African descendants throughout the world are experiencing. Um, it's, a, it's a systematic and, glo and global issue. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I feel like I, I'm sitting here thinking there's so many big issues. And um, I think the first part of anything is bringing awareness to it, which we're trying to do. But what, what are things that you think that we can do as maybe parents or um, in our local communities? And if we don't have a law that's, that's helping us, you know, make the environment safe for children, I mean, you're from Columbia, you know what the environment's like here. What are some things that, that if I see stuff like this happening, I can do? I'm, I'm right. Well, I think a big part of it is the awareness, right? To even A, know that this is happening is a huge step towards um, educating individuals. And, and to that point, I want to point out that when we think of this form of discrimination, that it's just not, oh, I might lose my job. And that's important, obviously, because um, we're talking about somebody's economic security, right? And, um, and the, uh, professional and economic advancement. If you lose a job or a promotion, um, or you're not hired for a job that you're otherwise qualified for. So that's, that may, you know, I think people 
truly, when they start thinking about consequences, I think it really helps um, in terms of educating individuals on this issue. To that point, people don't often know about what I call these invisible harms that are related to natural hair discrimination, which I think is important to talk about just really quickly, that yes, it, with respect to barring natural hairstyles or stereotyping uh, or stigmatizing natural hairstyles, what um, black women and girls often engage in, as I mentioned earlier, is trying to straighten our hair, right? To conform to what I would otherwise call a straight hair mandate or expectation. And when we do that, what we're often engaging is, is some really you know, toxic chemicals to straighten our hair, very damaging chemicals, um, heat styling, um, as well as um, using wigs and weaves to achieve this straight hair. And what happens is all people don't realize is that we are damaging ourselves. We are enduring you know, scalp burns when these chemical relaxants are placed on hair and head. Um, we are dealing with permanent as well as to hair loss. Talking about heat styling, the same thing can happen. We're talking about scalp damage and hair damage, temporary um, or permanent. Alopecia, for example, is very common amongst African women because of, of heat styling, wigs and weaves and chemical relaxants. Symptoms to, to that point is the, the physiological injuries or harms that occurring from chemical relaxants, so, as well as physical. So one of the things that people um, are not aware of is that there are some studies showing, at least possibly showing, a correlation between long-term chemical relaxant use and um, the higher rates of uterine fibroids amongst African-descended women, um, and also a possible correlation between chemical relaxants and increased hormonal activity amongst African-descended girls. Um, and so those types of physiological harms or potential physiological harms, I think, are really important to talk about. So it's also a matter of our health here, our, our physiological and, and even emotional health. Imagine with, right, the emotional yeah. distress that I think all of us can appreciate when our hair is falling out, right? Yeah. Um, or that we're suffering from scalp damage that um, is very hard to contain or control or, or remedy. Mm -hmm. And also thinking about the money that we're spending too. So that's another thing in terms of economic uh, security. The amount of money that uh, Black women are investing in, in our hair um, and the time that we're investing in terms of trying to achieve straightened hair. And I'll say lastly, with respect to that, and I can even talk about this from middle school. I don't know if you remember, I was um, a cheerleader. I do <laughs> remember. remember yeah, I do. Okay, so <laughs> my hair fall out when I would get uh, relaxers. My hair, can, oh, hair cannot relaxers or high um, levels of heat. Um, even as an adult. Um, and so I didn't lose that, but I was still, you know, relaxers and things of that nature to keep my hair straight. And especially because I was engaged in, you know, these extracurricular activities where you sweat. So there was a time when my hair was actually falling out in middle school. And I don't know if people even noticed. And so then I stopped in the chemicals. And in order to make straight hair, games were on Thursdays. I think I would go every Wednesday to the hair salon and get my hair pressed um, with a pressing iron. Yeah. Yeah, I would. And so then I would have fresh straight hair um, when I was um, cheering for um, on the cheerleading squad, right? I know. So, right. And that's a commitment. My daughter, my daughter was a cheerleader also. And I used to have to blow her hair out before I could put it up in the ponytail. And then even then I would have to put so much stuff in her hair just to keep it from, just to keep it straight. Right, right. 
I totally believe you. Thank right, you. right. So that's starting at, a, you know, that's like 11, 12 years old. You know, you're going through all of these, um, these emotions. So you think about the time and the expense. And then lastly, what I'll say to that, or in part to that, um, or relationship to that, is that um, when we're investing that type of energy and money um, and time to, to maintain straight hair um, for whatever the reasons may be, it could be for personal reasons, professional reasons, e extracurricular reasons, educational reasons, um, that we might be resisting actually engaging in physical activity, right? So you'll find African women and girls will um, not engage in exercising um, or other types, other types of activities, doors or swimming, for example, because we're too afraid of, of uh, messing up our hair. I think that to me, I think that's really helpful just starting there in terms of like educating ourselves about why it matters, why we need to care about hair um, and why we need to care about African descent and girls hair in particular. Well, I, I want to add one other piece to the puzzle. And that is, I we talk a lot about raising emotionally healthy girls and strong mm -hmm. girls and courageous mm -hmm. girls and the mental health piece. And how can you possibly, I mean, it's hard enough to be a nine to 16 year old little girl without any extra barriers to all of that. And now you're thinking, you know, I can only imagine because obviously this hasn't been my experience, but what it, but I have had similar experiences where I felt like I wasn't good enough, where I needed to, mm -hmm. I was, I was chubbier than most kids. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly mm -hmm. like something was wrong with me and I needed to lose weight. So that's my, my only experience is that that constant need to feel, to do something that makes you more in line with what mm -hmm. society says is right. Yeah. It's so wearing on your emotional well being and right. you feel like there's something wrong with me or we're not good enough or we're not beautiful enough. And your hair is beautiful, by the way. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> I like this Wendy's hair a lot better than the straight hair, to be quite honest with you. And I'm sorry to say that with as much work as you were going to to do it. No, no, it's completely fine. Well, you know, I wish I'd had these back then. <laughs> and I'm wearing, I'm wearing faux locks for people. Oh. <laughs> we'll post a picture of your beautiful faux locks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I wish because again, this these types of hairstyles for many people call them protective hairstyles, mm -hmm. um, so that you you can engage in um you know like exercising and, and would cause for perspiration on a level you can do those types types of things or if you're you have a lot of like um stress for example um that these things these types of hairstyles um can active in nature so that so that you can protect natural hair um and so i do still have naturally curled hair. i mean you've seen that too so there's the natural hair that's still under here because this, and this is a point um because of where i'm currently living and working there aren't really any, um, there aren't, to my knowledge, any hair salons that would be able to actually do my natural hair. Um, so this is in part why I have the full lock is that, um, I, you know, because I don't have, I can entrust um, to cut my hair or to my hair. Because, and that's back to something that you were talking about earlier about what can we do. Um, and so one of the most like segregated places on the basis of race, um, and obviously we know on the basis of gender too, are hair salons. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that we can do with our children, especially, is possibly um, um, introducing them to racially integrated hair salons or ethnically integrated hair salons um, if they're available, right? Um, there is one, you know, for example, in Columbia downtown, actually, 
one of my hairstylists, um, uh, Tia, um, who is um, downtown on Main Street, you know, she definitely tries to advocate and promote the fact that she does all types of hair, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender. And um, I think that's really important to, tar- to start uh, patronizing hair salons that are um, either racially integrated and or um, that are using hair products for all textures of hair. Yeah, and that's, um, that's, that's why important. we have like curly hair salon. Like I will not go to a. I mean, I know this is like offensive or whatever, but I like won't go to like a white people hair salon because they don't know like what to do with my hair. Like they will try to like blow it out with like a big flat paddle brush, or they just don't know how to cut it. And so when I lived in New York, I used to go to um, Inwood, where all the Spanish hair salons were, and I would get my hair done there because, like, they had hair like mine, and they knew how to do it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So to that point, Tia's hair salon, I'm going to give her a little plug, Carolina Hair Salon, Main Street in Columbia, South Carolina. (laughs) So (laughs) you're right. Um, And that, so this is another part of the education point is that I do talk to colleges as well and calling cosmetology cosmetology students because what you often find is African-American are the ones who pretty much get sort of the most exposure in terms of diversity of hair texture um, in part because they're trained to do everyone's hair. Um, whereas, so for example, if you come in, if I came in to the, to the studio um, or to the school that as a black woman, what you often see is that I'm being shepherded to the to the black uh, cosmetology student and not the white cosmetology student, right? Or the non-black cosmetology student. So yeah. what happens is is that white cosmetology students often um, are not ever really getting the experience yeah. of working with someone else's um, hair texture other than a straight hair texture. Like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. Right, right. Absolutely. I literally have heard people. I don't know what to do with this hair. I'm like, right. and there, and people learn how to do it. I know you would think. And actually, you know, if you think about it from an economic standpoint, you're missing out on some money here. Um, yeah. You know, knowing how to do everyone's hair, a more diverse population. Um, so yeah, so you definitely see experiences of um, women of color who are being denied um, services in hair salons on the basis of the texture of their hair. I would like to talk about these two, um, these two phrases that you develop, the misperception discrimination and the grooming code discrimination. So like, why, why was there no language before to describe these things? Like what compelled you to say like, we need a new language to talk about these things? Well, with grooming discrimination, I like, um, you know, oftentimes how it's in terms of grooming codes is that it's pretty much the employer's prerogative as it relates to how we are to look and, and what types of parent uh, norms we're supposed to come to. And people don't really view it as a form of discrimination. But in fact, it is discriminatory. These group policies that may say no headgear um, and then that implicates, say, religion for example, like individuals who may wear, uh, or Muslim women, for example, who may wear hijabs, that's still discriminatory, just because it may not be always deemed unlawful, um, or that federal civil rights law does not protect it, doesn't mean that it's then not discriminatory. So I really wanted to hone in on the part, or the point that uh, the application or the enforcement of grooming and appearance policies actually are a form of discrimination, number one, and that this discrimination implicates uh, the protected categories 
um, that we see under our anti-discrimination law, like race, sex, national origin, uh, relig and, and religion, and sometimes color as well. Um, and that they don't really have any kind of like real basis, especially as it relates to workplaces, any real basis in terms of um, being able to assess or evaluate a person's uh, ability to perform the job, right? I, so that's one, one of the reasons why. So I think that would that also apply, because we hear a lot about girls being um, pulled into the office Mm -hmm. at school for wearing basically the same thing that a boy would wear, but it's inappropriate because she's a girl. So that would fall under a grooming code discrimination. Absolutely, right? absolutely, yes. And so, and so with that, so though I, my work, my work largely focused on natural, natural hairstyles, has also um, talked about uh, women of women of color, namely women who have uh, um, had, had blonde hair, and when they've had blonde hair and they were discriminated against, um, and and told that they can't have blonde hair because that is a color that is associated with, with white women. That basically, and so they brought them and challenged them under federal civil rights as a form of race discrimination. Also written about, you know, the, the correlated parallels between um, Muslim women who are wearing hijabs and, and being discriminated against on the basis of hijabs and how it very much maps on to what's going on with African-descendant women who are wearing natural hair. And that sometimes that African-descendant women who are also Muslim may suffer a double form of discrimination. So to your point about um, grooming policies as it relates to uh, gender-based grooming policies, that two uh, appearance policies, that two would fall under the ambit of grooming code discrimination. And I'm happy to report that just um, earlier this week, if I'm not mistaken, um, a federal court in... North Carolina, I believe, um, just rule that requiring girls to wear skirts at a ch for a charter school um, is an unconstitutional sex discrimination, which That's is huge. Good. That's a that really huge. huge precedent. So actually, that case is going to be very helpful uh, to me and, and the work that I'm doing as it relates to trying to challenge all of these appearance and grooming regulations that are discriminatory and that end up um, having a significant impact on um, girls as well as boys. But um, um, largely, my family, the girls, uh, um, their education opportunities, as well as their employment opportunities, and just their broader inclusion in other space outside of workplaces in the schoolhouses. Yeah. I mean, this conversation is reminding me of something that, um, that Rachel Kogel brings up a lot about how Black women are really, like, at the forefront of fighting for these civil rights, not just for themselves, but for people everywhere. So, you know, talking about green, grooming code discrimination, you know, the, you know, the fight is for, you know, Black women or African-American women, but the implications will apply the impl of whatever happened, mm -hmm. whatever rights are achieved through this fight will help everyone. Absolutely. And I, I think that's a wonderful point. I was just talking to someone about that yesterday, that yes, this, you know, people sort of get lost in thinking that because we are advocating on behalf of Afro-descendant, well, me particularly and others, we're advocating on behalf of Afro-descendant women, women and girls, is that when we're fighting on behalf of these girls, often, you know, in part when we're fighting on, on the most marginalized um, groups mm -hmm. um, or the most discriminated or most vulnerable groups, then we end up actually achieving um, uh, protections um, and rights for everyone. Yeah. Um, so it's not, so to, to, to think about it in the sense that 
sometimes the people say, well, you're really advocating for like a super protection um, or an extra protection for African-American women and girls. And in fact, I'm just advocating for equal protection. Right. Um, and, and hopefully that equal protection will then be afforded to everyone who is suffering from these similar forms of discrimination um, on different types of bases. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's wonderful. I mean, we, one of the other things that we talk about is um, this whole idea of intersectionality. And I think that that, that, that matches too. like every win that you do, like it impacts girls as a whole, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. a whole girls are better protected. Um, obviously I, I, it breaks, it really breaks my heart to think of my, um, my friends with children who are dealing with these types of issues that we never even have to think about. And I I think that's the really, really important thing to bring back to the front of the circle. You know, people get, people get really up in arms about using the term white privilege and, and you know, that then they're like, well, I had to work hard and it's, it's not about how hard you worked or how, what your socioeconomic status really mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. at the end of the day. it's about the fact that I can go swimming in a pool and 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 not worry about one more thing that other mm-hmm. little girls have to worry about or I can my kids can compete in athletic matches and not worry about having to shave their head or mm-hmm. cut off mm-hmm. their hair or, you know mm-hmm. it's those things that's the privilege that people need to open their eyes to the big takeaway just has to be today you know that that you you don't know these things we have to talk about these things if you didn't know about these things we have to talk about them and then we have to like we have to respond to them we have to say okay now i'm aware of this I can't allow it to happen anymore. I can't be a bystander when I see this type of thing happening. And for me, I think that's the most important role to play. I mean, once you're aware of something, then you, I feel you have an obligation to do something about it. Right. And you can give voice to it, you know, and Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes we don't really um, appreciate the power and just in the influence of just speaking up about yeah. it. Um, and so this, you know, in the smallest of ways, it could be where you start to notice at child school that all girls are having to, for example, in the cheerleading squad, all of yeah. them are having to wear straight hair. Um, and I'm sure that, or that there are plenty of who are having to, to, to go through a lot to try to achieve that hairstyle. Um, it's the end of time and money that is being spent. And not them, but their parents, right? Yeah. Um, so that could be something where you could possibly say, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a diversity of hairstyles, and um, and that maybe we need to 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 revisit our, our grooming policy or our pants policy, right? Um, in in that kind of kind of con. Other things that you know, you know, you think about. I think for children, um, especially, is that. You know, something as less the types of books that you're reading. Um, that that, um, and I'm sure you talk about this a lot about the kinds of, um, you know, diversity that you may be exposing your child to, even down to hair texture and hairstyles and the types of books that you're reading. I actually came, I'll show you guys, you can't see it, but I have my own like props. I have um, also coloring books, color color my fro. And <laughs> I love it. My hair, and these are mine. <laughs> 
Colored by fro. I love it. <laughs> so you have coloring books around that. And then, you know, there's so many. And I will have to give a shout out to my nephew with respect to this. Um, so my nephew um, is an artist and, um, and he's in art marketing and advertising. But he um, actually um, did the illustrations for a children's book. And the children's book is called Nana B and Me by Jocelyn Dabney. And Nana B and Me in there, the central character um whoops the central character is a little girl african-american girl who adorns these big beautiful afro puffs that look very much like the afro puffs that my little nieces used they're no more they're not little anymore they're now but when they were little <laughs> and the afro puffs that i would wear when i was little we were there and so those are just ways you can actually show our children um through the things that we're reading the things that we're doing in our homes like color something as simple as that um having different types of images young girls and 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 men in those spaces. One, one last thing, obviously, that also probably to, to toys too, to, that you buy dolls. Um, then you can have dolls that have, that have different of hair textures, hair colors. Um, um, I love the multicolor uh, as well. And I'm sure you appreciate it too, <laughs> the multicolor hair. <laughs> And, um, you know, during those times um, um, when we are trying to compile, like, necessities for um, women's shelter um, and for homeless shelters um, or for individuals who may be um, vulnerable as it relates to their, their, their shelter, that we can include natural hair products yeah. in those gift baskets or gift bags um, because, you know, we don't think about it. We might give shampoo and conditioner, but that shampoo and conditioner may not be the most conducive for say women of color or girls of color um, so we can now go to our stores which is huge um, because it wasn't always the case so that could be something else um, too um, so yeah there are a lot of things that we can do yeah. to, to really bring about awareness and educate our children and also a, a fully appreciation for the diversity of our hair when we're seeing say young girls with curly hair or braids or locks or twists um, or women that even in public spaces, if we just compliment them and, and say how beautiful they are um, with their twist or with their locks or their braids. Now, don't touch them. So I will, I will caution you against that. But it's even though at least yeah. and there's a book about that and there's a song so i also have my own free playlist <laughs> so um solange you know beyonce sister solange knows she has a song called don't T touch my hair um so <laughs> as well and um so things like that we're that we're just in our regular everyday day life um you know because as we pause don't even think about you know when we're complimenting people you know even even in that our implicit biases are being um, are exposed, right? Or are conscious, or conscious biases, and so that might be something for us to evaluate. I compliment a, a young man um, or a young girl. Is it someone who sort of like looks like me, who has the similar types of character characteristics that I have? Do I really make a, a concerted effort um, and a genuine effort to um, compliment um, and give positive feedback uh, to those to those may not look like me? You know, that's something that I have actually been working hard on doing. And I never really thought about it from a race perspective, but more from just a, like building up self-esteem and, and letting people know that they feel that they're loved and cared. Well, I'm really glad that you're making the effort to bring awareness to it. Like we have to have conversations about it or nobody 
nobody who's not well, living. No, that no. right. Well, you're doing amazing things. And um, before we close out, we want to make sure that if you tell us a couple things, one, where can we get, when is the book coming out? Where can people get it? That's first thing we got to address. And second of all, if people want to get more information on this topic about um, maybe, I mean, I see the potential of bringing it up at like school board meetings and places like that, where, especially in, you know, you know, so mm-hmm. how can people get more resources and information so that they can feel empowered to, to discuss it? Sure. So we're hopeful that the book will come out next year um, um, in 2020. Um, There have been some changes in light of the fact that um, there's been a lot of movement going on between New York City and California that I did not expect when I I agreed to a February 2020 date. So I will will keep you guys posted on that, but definitely 2020. In terms of where else you can find that information, you can follow me on Twitter at Professor D. D. Wendy. And so I am, I am on Twitter and I post often about um, the, the Green Coast discrimination as well as misperception discrimination and other forms of discrimination, um, um, abstraction of race and gender and color and religion as well as national origin. So if you're familiar with the Social Science Research Network, um, that is where uh, there's a, just a whole, uh, it's a whole database full of different types of articles from lots of different disciplines. You can look me up there and actually get all of my articles um, that deal with uh, employment discrimination and race uh, more broadly. Um, so all the work on uh, grooming coast discrimination is there. So you just can look me up under like Professor Wendy Green, and that's green with the E on the end. Um, and my work is there. And um, yeah, so so I think yeah you can. Um, I think those are all, all the places right now, other than like my, 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 my school whip. So, well, I just want to yeah. say, um, as somebody who knew you back when we were 11, 12 years old, I am so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so proud of what you're doing. I know it, I know there's probably a lot of really exciting, wonderful things about it, but I'm sure there's some with anything that's changing law, changing perception, changing all of these things. I'm sure there's some super frustrating moments too. So keep fighting the fight. And, um, so much. And, 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 you know, the pride goes right back, back to you. I'm so, so excited, excited, proud of all the work that you're doing. Appreciate you both, uh, for both of you, for the work for the work that you're doing, and to bring aware, awareness to these really important social uh, issues and issues of um, justice and fair, fairness and equality. I'm just very honored and to be a part of this conversation, and hopefully I'll be back. Yes, Nancy wants to talk about all that. <laughs> We're gonna have you when your book comes out. We're gonna have you back. We're gonna talk all about your book. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll make sure to get into the discrimination stuff there too because that's yeah we'll just be uh, just have a regular like you know discrimination chat or equality yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean yeah. I'm sure there will be so much to talk about and updates and new laws and things you'll have oh, yeah. more states on board right so yeah well that's the goal that's right we're trying to free the hair everywhere so. <laughs> well thank you so much Wendy we appreciate your time greatly okay, and love what you. you're doing all righty thanks so much